Who'd you vote for in the last election? How much do you weigh? How much do you make a year? Are you pregnant? These and other questions are the questions we've all been trained to never, ever, ever ask. These are the painful questions. These are the uncomfortable questions. These are the questions that really, it's uncouth to even ask them, so don't even bother. Even if you wanted to know the answer, even if you were willing to do something with that answer, we do not ask those questions. Funnily enough, <laughs> the same can be said for a lot of what we do in recruiting in HR and HR and talent acquisition. There are a lot of uncomfortable questions that we never, ever ask. We ask versions, safe versions of them. So instead of saying things like, who did you vote for in the last election, you might ask, are you affiliated with a political party? Do you volunteer somewhere? And you might infer what someone's political proclivities are. Um, you might not ask them how much someone makes. You might ask them what they drive or what part of town they live in and make some inferences in there. You, know, you can get to the gist of it, I guess, sort of. But you avoid those uncomfortable questions. You avoid those painful questions. Well, today, I'm going to ask some very, very painful questions. It just, it's going to be bad. It's going to be giving a vaccine to a four-year-old level of painful, screaming, pain, unpleasantness. And you're going to love it. I, at least I hope you do. I mean, I, what do I know? Um, we'll be right back. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand and recruiting podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. Thanks so much for listening. If this is your first time for joining in, we do things a little differently. We try and do deep dives. There's not a lot of interviews here. There's not a lot of news here. This is about how do we get smarter and better? And that means how do I get you smarter and better? How do I get you to think about these problems at a deeper level so that you can solve them and look like a genius to your boss? If this isn't the first time you've been here, thanks so much for returning. Feel free to share with your friends, your coworkers, your boss. I don't know. Uh, we really do appreciate that. All right, let's get into it. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Uh, recording this a little early. I have to go to, I have to. I get to go to Boston for Transform. So by the time you hear this, I'm already home and I've started my new gig. So at Universum. So there you go. Like I said, as I said last time, hopefully I don't see how the new gig changes anything I do here. I still want to give as much Okay, let's call it insight maybe. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm puffing my own horn there a bit too much. But you know, let's have deeper conversations than the standard ones you usually get. That's really what it's here for. So as always, uh, feel free to contact me, to just ping me, to ask questions, to uh, complain, to argue, to whatever. You can always find me at The War for Talent or you can find me on email or LinkedIn or all those good places. Uh, yeah, and, and frankly, I want to be super clear about this. I love it when you share this stuff. So if there's a, a talent acquisition leader or TA or HR leader or CHR leader, CHRO rather, you think should be listening to stuff, share it. I really love to get shared. So there you go. So um, otherwise, let's see. Oh, yeah, Wreckfest in London. Yeah, that's happening next month. Uh, Social Recruiting Strategies in Philly in August. Um, in talks to talk to somebody in October in New York. So we'll figure that out. Uh, but yeah, so... Stuff. So let's get to the painful questions. So I've tried to capture some of the painful questions I think about. I, and I am, as you all know by now, or should, I am a deeply bitter, bitter, cynical, black-hearted, black black-souled individual. Um, I don't believe anybody, anything anybody says. I am a broken, broken human being. Uh, but you like me anyway. I'm, I mean, I, I put a good face on it, right? I'm not too bad, I guess, usually in small doses in these podcast-type levels. But... One of the things that is wrong with my brain, or amazing in my brain, depending on how you look at it, is that 
no commercial, no meeting, no memo can come out before I start immediately trying to break it down for the hidden, unstated messages. Like I said, I am deeply cynical. But we're going to use that to your advantage. So I came up with some questions that I've always thought, this is the version of the question we really want to ask, but we knew in a million years our HR leaders, our CHRO, you know, CHROs, our CEOs would never, ever, 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 ever let us use it, would never ask that question. It is way too impolite. It is too painful. Too many organizations, especially connected to HR, it's, it's much better to simply ask the safe questions, to ask the questions that, or to ask questions in versions that you know give positive responses, right? We've all seen those surveys where it's like, scale of one to five, how much do you like working here? And you're like, just the way you frame that question. Do you ever see the question on a scale of one to five, how much do you hate working here? Scale to one to five, how much can you not roll yourself out of bed Monday morning? How long a pep talk do you have to give yourself before you finally crawl out of bed and realize, I have to go to work? That's a painful question. At least that's a painful version of the how much do you like working here questions. And I think too much we try to you know, we're, we're self-interested human beings. We're all jerks and bastards and all that good stuff. And we want the good answers. We want to show our bosses, look, I know sometimes it feels like morale is a problem, but look, the data says it's not. And it's so easy to make the data say what you want it to say. There's so many easy ways to make the questions spin the answers the way you want it to do. So I wanted to focus on the knife to the gut level questions, the just the, oh God, I think that hurts. I felt that one, that kind of questions. And we're going to start with the hardest one I know because, again, cynical. I'm a jerk. Anyway, let's start with this. I mean, this is very EB and, and recruiting focused because let's be honest. When people look for a job and they look for all available information about your company, your job, your roles, and even when they go down the rabbit hole of Glassdoor and Google and look for and, you know, find the friend who works there and, and or the friend of a friend and buy him a coffee and, and say, what's it really like and what's the worst part? No matter how much research you do, you kind of walk into every new job blind. You kind of go, yeah, this could go horribly or this could be amazing. This could be a dream job or this could be a nightmare. And you just don't know. You just don't know. There's so many variables. There's so many. And let's be fair. One of those variables is you, or at least as the new employee. I'm starting a new job. And as amazing as this company may or may not be, it's amazing because of how I come to it. It's amazing because of what I bring to it. It's amazing because it fits with how I process it or doesn't. And I don't have any way of knowing that until I walk in the door and figure it out for myself. No matter what I do, even a big company, small company, public company, private company, doesn't matter. There's not enough information for me to make a real decision. It's almost impossible. You know who has enough information to make a decision? Someone who's already made that decision. So the question you should be asking everybody who works there Everybody, and I mean everybody, anybody who's been there at least, let's call it three months, and I think realistically six months. The question is, knowing what you know now, would you still take this job? Oh, that one hurt. That one stung, right? Because you know, ultimately, there's no kind of glossing it over. They've seen the stuff, the good, the bad, and the seriously ugly. They know what's really going on with this job. They know where the bosses are great and where the bosses just are atrocious. They understand where the politics really live. There is no illusions at this point. They know what this job is and what it entails. And on some level, depending on how long they've been there, they may think they understand how to move ahead. Maybe. If you've only been there six months, you might have a sense of what it takes to move ahead. But really, until you've actually been promoted or moved ahead, you don't really know. You don't know what the competition looks like. You don't know what the expectations are. You don't know what the incentives are. You don't understand it. You don't know. Maybe you're in your mind, 
you might think if you've only been there six months, if I get that promotion, I get a 20% raise. But then you get that promotion, it's an 8% raise. And it's like, oh, now you really know. That was, now there's really no illusions about that. Ask every candidate, I'm sorry, ask every employee, knowing what you know now, would you still take this job? Make a, a yes or no question. Do not give them wiggle room. Do not give them any kind of like hedging gray spaces. Just ask the question. This is the punch to the kidneys of employer brand recruiting questions. How positive is the work experience really? I mean, really. Now, there's a chance the people who work there, now that they know what it's like, they would still take this job. They like that job. And frankly, if you could take that data and turn around to candidates and say, by the way, 87% of people who work here, having worked here for more than a year, would have accepted this job again, that's an amazing data point. That's an amazing piece of information that you could be using to market your company. But of course, you won't know that until you ask the gut punch of a question. Now, there could be a follow-up to talk about why or why not, or what would you change, and that's fine. But the just the line in the sand, knowing what you know, would you still have taken this job? That's the question. Okay, painful question number two. Do you love to come to work or do you, and or do you know anyone who loves working here? Now, ultimately, what I want everyone to find is love at work. Not romantic love, obviously. They want to find professional love. I, and, and honestly, the, the things get complicated. I literally have professional crushes on people. I'm like, you're amazing. Damn, you're good at this. And I have a crush on you on a professional level. Um, I want everyone to love their work. I want everyone to feel like what they're doing matters, has meaning, has value, is appreciated, that they can, you know, just like a relationship, just like actual romantic love, there's hard work involved and no one pretends that it's easy. But in the end, you wake up every morning and say, yep, I'm glad I picked you. Yep, I'm glad I'm sticking around. Yep, I'm glad we're together. We're a partnership in whatever way you frame it. I don't know your relationships that well at all, but I know mine. And I would say, it's a lot like it. No one pretends, welcome to marriage. It's all easy from here. Hey, you had a kid. It's super simple. No problem. No sweat. No big deal. It's unbelievably hard, much like jobs. So you can still say, I love my job and I love working here, even if it's hard, even if it's not always pleasant, even if there are problems with it, even if there are issues with it, you can still love your job. And frankly, I want all of us in the sound of my voice and the sound of this podcast to raise the bar on our jobs to say, how do we get people to love this job? Because, 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 because we're getting to the point where talent is such that they can, only, they can pick where they want to go. Anybody who doesn't love their job has, 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 has complete invitation to go leave and find a job that they might actually love. So if people don't love their job, the clock is ticking before they just vamoose. So if you don't set the bar for, I want everyone who works here to love their job, what you're saying is, I want everyone to eventually leave, and I'm totally cool with that. Same thing. Now, the other way to express that is that whole sense of, do you know someone who loves working here? One of those things, I think I talked about this earlier, one of those things about questions is sometimes it's very hard for us to ask the question of ourselves. Like if you were to ask me in a therapy session, James, what do you like about James? And I would say, oh, and I would curl up in a little ball and try to avoid any other further contact with human beings for the rest of, I don't know, my life. I can't do it. can't process that. It's not how my brain works. I got barriers and guardrails and don't think about that stuff. But if you ask me, what does my best friend like about me? It's a whole different question. 
That's a whole different thing. What, am I, what is my mom like about me? What is my wife like about me? What is my kid like about me? Now I'm going to get all sorts of different answers, but I'm not going to curl up in a ball. I'm not going to shut down. So if you ask people, not just, what do you, do you love working here, which is kind of pointed and, again, a painful question. That's the theme. But also a, do you know someone who loves to work here? Is there at least the sense that some people can find real deep satisfaction and meaning in their job? And if you can't, if everybody says, I don't know anybody who loves working here, oh boy, lock the doors because the exits are going to get slammed. It's going to be like, it's going to be bad. But that's a good, that's a painful question. These are questions most people do not actually want the answers to. They just want to know that they score a 7.2 on a 10-point scale of overall morale. How much do you not hate working here? Meh. That's what they want to know. They just want to know that you're going to stick around another couple of days or a couple months or maybe even a whole year. Okay, next question. And this one is one I've used before uh, in, in, informally, and that is, and, and let, me, let me ask, let me start this way. Let me a, not ask the question. Let me, a, let me set the stage. Every company, or at least the leadership of companies, that is people who think in, about employer brand as a concept usually, or people who hire consultants about employer brand, knows what the mission of the company is. Why? Because they were usually involved in the crafting of it on some level. And communicating that mission out to candidates is part of their job. They're incentivized to know the mission. And because they are perpetually every day, 24-7 surrounded by that mission, and they always have the knowledge of the mission in their heads, they occasionally presume, and I mean occasionally, I mean like everybody all the time, that everybody else knows the mission. And I've played this game where I did a huge survey of a company. I said, do you know the mission of this company? And if so, what is it? And just watching people go, uh, because they get embarrassed. Oh, they get so embarrassed because they think they should know. And maybe they were told that one time. And they're trying to remember real hard as to what was said. Was it something about doing good work? Maybe? I don't remember. And they get real, they get real sheepish. They get real embarrassed. So asking the company, asking the individual staff members, do you know what the mission of this company is, yes or no, and prove it by stating it, that's a painful question. Most people don't think that's going to be a painful question, but it takes about three times you ask that question before leadership realizes, please stop asking that question. That makes, me, that makes my stomach hurt. That makes me uncomfortable. I don't, like, I don't want to know how badly we've not communicated this mission out. The fact that we made the posters, the fact that we put in an email, the fact that it's on our CEO's subject our, uh, email signature. Yeah, I know. I guess it's not enough. People are not absorbing it. Oh, that sucks. But there's a corollary to that, and it's an unusual corollary. And that is, if you ask the question, what's the company's mission? The next question might be, what's your mission? Now, the silence that will follow that question will be insane, will be brutal. And you might say, well, how is that painful? I don't care if they have a mission or not. Well, actually, you should. You should care a lot. People who have meaning, who have found meaning in their work, tend to be better employees. They tend to stick around. They tend to care. You've all seen that LinkedIn meme, if LinkedIn can say to have memes, and I think they do, that the whole, the people who stop care, you know, the, the, you know, you don't push people around to get to the point where they stop caring. That, to me, is such a big cry for help. We've talked about that stuff. But if people have a mission, they care in the face of hard work, in the face of adversity, in the face of unpleasant working conditions, in the face of 
uh, 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 lowered expectations from the business down the road. The, when your business has a bad quarter or a bad month and everybody's like, oh man, I gotta, we got to hunker down and fix this, the people who have a sense of mission as to why they do this are the ones who actually hunker down. The people who don't are the ones who go, who cares? It's not like it's going to fix anything, and they tend to drag their heels or at least slow everybody down. The companies who can pivot, who can fix, who can change are filled with people who have real purpose in why they do what they do. They have their own personal mission. I've talked about my mission on this podcast, and I want to make people smarter to think about how to re-evolutionize and rethink and reinvent the concept of hiring from the ground up using employer brand as kind of the wedge. I've talked about that here or there. It's in my newsletter. I bring it up. I try to bring it up because I want to remind everybody and myself what my mission is, right? That's really what it's about because if you have a mission, you do better work. You show up. You do the painful stuff. You know, I've said the the joke about two people building a wall. Somebody walks by and says, what are you building? I'm building a wall. What are you building? I'm building a cathedral. The person who thinks they're building a cathedral is building a better wall. Simply put, because they don't just go, it's a wall. It's a task I have to execute. It's a thing I have to do. It's a checkbox I have to check. No, they go, people are going to stand inside this are going to baptize their children inside this in whatever capacity. I don't know. Your religious proclivities are your own, and I do not care about them. But you get what I'm saying. People are going to worship in this space. People are going to treat this space as sacred and holy. You don't just slap the bricks and stone together in a place that's holy. If you find any connection with the sense that this place is holy, you put each brick in place perfectly. You show up early. You leave late. You make sure your workspace is clean. You care. Do you have a mission? If so, those are the kinds of people I want to hire. Having fun yet? I know I am. All right. This one's a little more tactical, but still still useful. If your best friend asks, what's the best and worst parts of working here? Again, it's not about what do you think the best parts are. It's not about mom, I'm the manager, I'm the employer brand person asking, or this is HR asking, at which point everybody goes, shields up, and they try to figure out how to say, you know, it's like when the interview question, what's, the, what's your worst... Uh, uh, what's your biggest flaw? I don't care too much. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, they, they, they lie. They spin. But if you say, look, if your best friend asked, what would you tell them? It helps them step out of the conversation with you or the form or the survey you've put this question in and say, okay, if my friend Sue asked me what it's like, and I don't actually think I know many Sues, uh, because if I said to my best friend Merritt, you'd be like, how do you have a best friend named Merritt? And I would say it's a very long conversation, but it's true. She also does not listen to this podcast. Hey, how you doing, Merritt? Anyway, if Merritt asked me what the best and worst part of working here is, I would have to inherently answer much more honestly. And because I'm answering to a human being, a specific, not a broad generalization, I understand what merit likes. I understand what merit cares about. I can actually focus my energies in answering this question on merit. Right? See, now you want me to go back to Sue, don't you? I kind of do too, but I'm not gonna. I'm stuck here. So ask the question, if your best friend asked, what is the best part of working here and what is the worst part of working here? You want to uncover the problems? That is a good way. I have another way down the list here. I've actually written notes. Okay, next painful question. Do you have a five-year plan? Now, I've worked in places where they asked a question like, do you expect to still be working here in a year? And to me, that is the, the hedged version of the gut question. The gut question should be, do you have a five-year plan? Five years is long enough that people go, look, I have the chance to move. 
if, if I have the chance to make changes, I have the chance to pivot, I have the chance and the opportunities to maybe go learn some new skills, prove those new skills, apply those new skills to a new job, and move my career forward. Five years is a very long period of time, relatively speaking, okay? One year, I mean, what can you really do in one year? At best, you could probably quit your job and get a new job. It, but it would probably be the same job or really close to it, right? If you are uh, a data scientist and you took a class in JavaScript, do you have enough skills in JavaScript to get a JavaScript job? No. You'd be an entry-level JavaScript person if you got lucky and you would have to take a huge step down. You'd have to develop a lot more skills to get a JavaScript job at roughly the same kind of leveling that you are currently doing as a data scientist. Now, and then eventually, you'll have two skill sets to draw from, and what you'll do is you'll market yourself as someone who knows data science and JavaScript, and there's probably some sort of magic in there, but there you go. But it takes longer than a year to do that. Asking a year is the safest way to do that because everybody goes, yeah, I can probably stick this out for another year. Yeah, I can see it. Because that's how long it's going to take to vest my stock, or that's how long it's going to take to get to my sabbatical, or that's how long it's going to get, okay, in a year I'm going to get my bonus again. And there's a reason to think about, okay, bonus, I'll stick around for the bonus, I guess. It's a, it's a hedged question. It's a safe question. If you ask it as, what's your five-year plan? Do you have one? Which, frankly, should filter out people who don't have five-year plans because I think there's a special kind of person, not good or bad, but a special type of person who have one of those. Now, there are a couple pieces that go along with this five-year plan question. The first of which is, if you have a five-year plan, do you think this company supports that plan? Hmm? So if you're in data science, data science and you're looking to JavaScript, do you think your company will pay for education, pay for some training, pay for some books, pay for some seminars, pay for some e-learning, pay for some whatever the hell to help you learn these skill sets to evolve your career along your five-year plan? That is a gut punch of a question. Because it doesn't just mean, yeah, we're, you know, and, I, and I, I know some people in talent development, so I'm not trying to beat them up, but I'm going to beat them up a little bit apparently. But to say, yeah, we're going to offer you some management training, which is effectively like <laughs> most management training I, say, I see is always like, hey, you know that manager you hate? Don't do that, right? I mean, that's, that's the gist of most management training. It's just it extends over five or six days you know, at a time. Um, but do they actually want to develop a skill, a hard skill? Because soft skills are the sort of thing you can train for quickly, but you can't prove that they stuck, right? It's very hard to measure the value of a soft skill you learned in a three-day class, right? How to give better feedback is a three-day seminar you can take. It's a great soft skill, and if you do it really well, you are insanely more effective, obviously. But I don't think you can actually learn it in three days. I really don't. And there's no way of proving that you did or did not learn it. If you slept through the whole three-day class of a soft skills class, I can't prove that you didn't, did or didn't learn it. If you went to a three-day hard skill class, you might have learned something. And I can test whether you learned something. That's something that talent development usually, and I'm painting, painting with a broad brush, I apologize, doesn't think of. And that's where the rubber meets the road. If you have a five-year plan, Will your company support it? Will the company help you go? Will they help you get the MBA? Will they help you get the master's in, science, in uh, uh, information science? Will they help you take that class? Will they help buy those books? Will they help whatever it is? Will they give you some of your time to go hang out with that other team already doing it so you could absorb the osmosis and learn through hands-on without giving up the job you already have? 
Does your company do that? No? Guess what? Tick, 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 that person's on their way out. Because the last part of that question is, do you actually expect to be here in five years? Now that is a deeply loaded question. Deeply loaded question. Let me tell you why. First off, will this company even be here in five years? That says as much about what that, that person thinks about the potential success of the company as an entity as it does about their much, how much they like working there, right? I mean, even if you're Ford, even if you're Google, at some point you say, five years is an awfully long time. <laughs> do I think this company will be around? If that company will be around, do I think I will be a part of it? Do I see my career path growing? Do I see how the company supports my five-year plan to get to where I want to be? Whether it's a promotion, whether it's two promotion, whether it's leadership, whether it's management, whether it's extra skills, whether it's opportunities and the kind of work I get to do, whatever it is, do I think I'm going to be here? Again, it's easy to ask the one-year version of that because it's safe. It takes a lot of work to leave a job. There's a bonus involved. You're giving it up. You don't want to do that. Yeah, I guess I'll stick it out. Five years? Good Lord, that's a lifetime. Yeah, I better freaking love this company if I think I'm going to be here for five years. Oh my goodness. That's a hard and painful question. All right, there's two more left, I think. Yeah. Ooh, boy. Okay. These, these, are, these are taking a turn, but this next one is very awkward. And this, is, this ties back to one of the ones we talked about before. And the first, this one is, have you ever felt embarrassed to say you work here? And if so, why and when, or when and why? Now, this question is like the Pandora's box of questions because this once you open this, once you crack the seal, all hell will break loose. You think the people at Uber two years ago asked that question? Is there any reason you could be embarrassed for working here? Of course not, because they knew. Because they knew it was a boys club. Because they knew it was brotacular. Because they knew sexual harassment was rampant. They knew on some level. And if you know the answer is going to be, it's gonna suck, you ask, you do everything you can. You do, you do yoga to bend around, keep from asking these questions. Right? If your CEO is a little sexist or a little racist or just happens to be a total freaking jerk, right? you all kind of know it, but you never talk about it. But here you're asking the question, have you ever been embarrassed to say, meaning to publicly announce to someone that you work for a place, for work for this company? If so, why and when? Was it a specific time? Was it circumstantial? Was it at the time you were undergo your company was undergoing some sort of recall and you were in the news? Was it because you just fired someone? Is it because, and this is a true story, um, you just published uh, your job posting and it says Caucasians preferred? Is it because at your corporate office someone left a noose on the desk of a black African-American employee? Yikes, you better, be, you better be embarrassed as hell to say you work at those companies. I won't even name the names, but you can look them up. You, you, okay, once you realize, because the thing is, is HR loves to pretend those problems don't exist. They hedge these bets to say, because as soon as they say we have problems, they have to fix it, and HR isn't always equipped to fix these problems. Right? If you say, I don't think people of different genders or people of different ethnicities or people of different sexualities have an equal shot at working here, that's a broad generalization and no one can fix that. But if you say, yeah, I was really embarrassed. To, I was so embarrassed I would not tell anybody I worked at this company because it was Pride Month and because they said this thing. 
Okay, there you go. Now you know. And this is the, the, the goal of a painful question is to make you feel pain, to make the asker and the leadership to feel the pain such that they actually do something about it, right? If you're trying to lose weight and you don't feel bad about the fact that you're chubby, guess what? You're never losing the weight. But the second you feel bad about it, the second you feel the pain, whether it's you don't like the clothes you wear or you can't get a date or you feel like a slob and you hate yourself or whatever it is, until you feel the pain, you don't change. And HR tends to ask the questions in such that it never has to feel the pain. And the job here is to make you feel the pain, right? Have you ever been embarrassed to say you work here? If so, when and why? Get the details. Now, it may or may not provide the level of detail to tell you exactly how to fix it, but it makes sure <laughs> shooting that you know Lots of people think this is a sexist organization. Lots of people think we treat gay people poorly. Lots of people think this might there's a there's a level of racism in, inherent in the company. And there's so many ways that HR tends to look at these questions to try and keep from making this painful. For example, here's a great one. This just happened last month or two months ago. When it was National Hit Women's um, uh, Women's Month or Hit Women's History Month or whatever it was. And every company and their dog talked about how much they appreciate women, to which the question is, oh yeah? What's your maternal leave like policy like? Oh, it's just the legal limit of what the law forces you to do? Great, you clearly care about women, right? That's a painful question. That's a painful way to reframe these things. Marketing, employer brand, however you want to frame it, wants to spin these positions and spin these comments and these ideas to be as polished and friendly as humanly possible. And my job in this podcast is to put it up against a painful question to force you to go, oh crap, maybe that's just bullshit. Got it. Noted. Got it. Right? It's Pride Month. It's June. It's Pride Month. You, your company may or may not be doing something. They may, may or may not have changed their logo to put a rainbow in it. Good for you. That's fantastic, I guess, for all the work that you went into doing that. But would a gay person say they feel completely equal, completely, that uh, they have every opportunity that everybody else does? When HR does that, that review and it looks at who the leadership is and it turns out that of the 12 leaders, only one person's a woman and only one person is a person of color, right? How much do you care about women? How much do you care about diversity then? It's a way of framing the question to feel the pain. And that's what I want you to do. Feel the pain. All right, last question, then we're closing shop here. Based on the value you bring the company, are you paid fairly? <laughs> yeah, run. Look, I'm on blind enough to know that people love to complain about their salary, even when they're so overpaid, it boggles the mind. If you're three years out of school, if you're 27 years or 24 years, 26 year old, and you can code in your San Francisco, you think you are obligated to 150, 160, and more thousand dollars a year. Yeah, San Francisco is an expensive town. Yeah, I get that. And are you driving $160,000 worth of value? This is a double-sided question, and it forces people to truly think about how they see their job and how they see their compensation. If you're in customer service and you don't see how you're bringing value to your job, the answer is going to be no, I don't think I'm paid for it. I think I'm overpaid. But then the problem you have to 
uncover there is how do you get customer service to see how they're providing value? People who don't provide value for the company are people, one, not sticking around, two, do not do a great job. They phone it in, and it's customer service joke, so insert your joke there, um, but they do not do a great job. The chance they have to make a positive impression will just fly away because they don't see how they're driving value. The other side is, look, I know you want to raise because everybody else got a raise, but are you really bringing that much value to the company? It assumes, of course we all understand how assumes works, it assumes that everybody understands how to measure the value of their role. And I had a question, I scratched it out because I realized this led into that, and that is, do you see the value in your job? And, or the version I wrote is, do you understand why your job exists? Because I think there are a lot of people who don't quite get why their job exists, why it's not folded into another department, why someone else can't do it along with the other job they do, why the company sees value in doing this. And again, the people who don't understand why their jobs exist don't do great jobs. They aren't driving value for your company. And they're going to look for another job anyway. And then you're up the creek because you're going to have to hire lots of people and no one wants to do this job because no one understands why they would want to do this job. Get it? And it also helps frame the conversation around compensation. Look, the market may bear $170,000 for a two, three-year experienced developer, but we expect you to bring in $170,000 worth of value. And if you're a startup or if you're a small company, if you're not particularly profitable yet, how can you justify and say that's what you're worth? Just because that's what the market will bear. And I think... Shaping a conversation around value and compensation thusly changes the conversation altogether. One, you'll find out who's really entitled and who really thinks they should get all the money and run, but at the same time, you'll see the people who understand that their job is to provide value, and if they're not provide value, why should they ever get paid? And you get to have a different conversation. Maybe it's a conversation around, here's how to get you to the point where you can see your value. Or this is how to elevate your career, move your career in a place where you can clearly see the value and you can feel good about the value you're bringing. Now, of course, asking this question, ask the company to say, can you please help this person see the value of what they do? And the company says, sure, because then they won't want to raise after I show them that. So maybe I just won't. <laughs> so they won't ask this question. I get that. I totally get that. I'm pretty sure most of you won't ask most of these questions ever because they're insanely and painful. They're insanely painful. They're just brutal questions. So those are the questions I had. If you have other examples of other good questions you should ask, send them to me. I would love to do a follow-up in a couple of weeks to talk about the other questions you guys come up with that are just painful and brutal that force leadership, that force leaders, that force whoever's in charge to make a real change and not just pay lip service to change because that's really what this is all about. How do we make people feel so bad that they finally make the change happen? That's what we want to talk about. All right. Thanks so much for listening. As always, keep sharing the podcast. Keep talking about it. I appreciate it. If you find me at any uh, conference or convention or wherever the heck and you say, I like the podcast, congratulations, you get to get a sticker, a limited edition sticker. Enjoy, right? It's, it's amazing. You can stick it on a notebook or an actual book that's a note. Whatever you want, it's up to you. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Well, the music means you've made it to the end of another episode of The Talent Cast. 
If this was useful to you, do not keep it a secret. Share it with your team. Share it with your boss. Share it with your networks. I don't know. Share it with your mom. Uh, if you have questions you'd like me to answer on a future show or just, you know, general ideas about how to make this thing better, just ping me on Twitter. You know, I'm at the War for Talent. At the War for Talent. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.